Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath Services. Now, before we get into the questions and answers, I just want to cover something that you need to consider is very important. Now, there's one church of God that has a program that asks the brethren to take out a will or whatever and designate how much they want to give to the church, and they use that money for paying retirement for the elders who are retiring. However, whatever you have in the family is a family inheritance. And the inheritance is not to be tithed upon like you would income. Now, the reason being is that it should go to the family and the survivors. Now, if they want to give something to the church, that's up to them. But it's really not a good thing before God to constantly solicit the brethren to set up end-of-life instructions and give a lot to the church should be for the family. Now then, another thing that's important. Everyone should have a family trust. And the family trust is one of the best ways to preserve family inheritance and family wealth. Because you have the principal person the one that is designating the trust, then you have secondary trustees which automatically run the trust with the dying of the principal individual. Now, this is important because there is no probate. If you just have a will, there will be a probate, and a probate is subject to challenge and subject to attorneys using that family wealth as a means of making money. I saw that happen in Boise when I was pastor up there years ago. There was a family had a nice big ranch, and it was worth pretty close at that time to two hundred thousand dollars, which in nineteen sixty six was a lot of money. But the different sons and daughters and relatives all wanted a piece of the ranch. So they all got attorneys. And the fighting back and forth, and the fighting back and forth, and the fighting back and forth, by the time they finally got it settled, there was only like $25,000 left. All the rest went to attorney's fees. So get a living trust. And you have an automatic successor. There is no probate. The will 
or the wishes of the one who passes away becomes part of the living trust. And that way you'll save a lot of squawks, save a lot of attorney fees, and save a lot on the inheritance. Now, most farmers and ranchers who have large plots of land or cultivating fields or whatever, they should always have a family trust. And that way, it keeps the government from taxing them. And you don't pay taxes because the trust is a separate legal entity and the one who is the trustee is the one who runs it. So keep that in mind. Now, I was reminded of this by recent event that is that happened that has got everything all tied up in a, a, a family mess because of the squabbles between everyone. All right, now we're going to have questions and answers. So thank you for all the questions. We got them. And so we'll start right out with this question. Was God the Father involved with the patriarchs of the Old Testament? And the question is, did they know him? Well, let's understand this. First of all, the Most High God in the Old Testament is the one who became the Father in the New Testament. The one who was the Lord God, who spoke to Israel and gave the commandments, was the one who became Jesus Christ of the New Testament. Now, we will see that the Most High God did have things to do with the patriarchs. Let's come here to Acts 3, and let's see what Peter said concerning the events that took place around the crucifixion and resurrection. Acts 3 and verse 12. Now, this is after they healed the man at the gate, beautiful, and were on their way into the temple area. And when Peter saw it, that is, all the people gathering around, he answered to the people, Men, Israelites, why are you wondering at this? Why are you looking upon me so intently, as if by our own power or godliness we have made him to walk? Now listen to the next verse carefully. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son, Jesus. So this tells us, yes, the Most High was involved with the patriarchs. Also, we find it here in in chapter 5. So let's just go to chapter 5 for a minute here. Chapter 5 and verse 29. And this is when all the apostles were brought forth to the Sanhedrin to give an explanation why they kept preaching in the name of Jesus, 
when they strictly commanded them not to do so. So Peter answered, verse 29, Acts 5, But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We are obligated to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. Him God exalted by his right hand to be a prince and savior to give repentance and remission of sins to Israel. And we are his witnesses of these things, as is also the Holy Spirit, which the God, which God has given to those who obey him. Okay. Now, nowhere do you read, and the Sanhedrin all got up and fell on their faces and repented. No, next verse. Verse 33. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to put them to death. Okay. Now, let's look at some scriptures in the Old Testament to verify this. Let's come to to Genesis 14, and this will help answer another question a little later that we'll come to concerning Melchizedek. Now, let's pick it up here in verse 18. Genesis 14 in verse 18. Now, Abraham, Abraham's entourage was like a, a, a tremendous, huge caravan. He had over 300 people with him at all times. When the attackers came and took Lot and others, Abraham got 300 of the best men that he had, went out after them, and he won the battle and came back and was giving tithe to Melchizedek, priest of the Most High. So let's pick it up here in verse 18, Genesis 14. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the Most High God. So, this had to be the one who became Jesus Christ. And remember that when God did appear to men, he didn't appear to them in his glory. Because as he told Moses, no man can see my face and live, that is, in the glory. So, God has the ability, and spirit beings have the ability to have glory or become invisible or to appear as flesh and bone. Bone. Now, we covered this sometime recently, but let's just review it here for a minute. Remember when Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection? He was able to cause the two disciples that were on the way to Emmaus to not be able to recognize him. Now, he walked with them as a human being. And they didn't realize it was him until they got to Emmaus and ordered their food and sat down to eat, and Jesus blessed the food, and as soon as he blessed the food, they knew it was Jesus, and he disappeared. So they ran back, 
They ran back as fast as they could. Let's go to Luke 24. Okay. They ran back to Jerusalem as fast as they could to tell the other disciples that they had seen Jesus. Let's see what happened. Verse 33, Luke 24. Okay. And they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, In truth, the Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. Okay. Then they related the things that had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, as they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst. Now, how did he get there? Well, they didn't open the door to let him in. He didn't come and knock to let them know he was there. The only way he could have gotten there was he was able to make himself invisible and walk through the door or through a wall or come down through the roof. Now, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he didn't need anyone to move the stone to get out. He could walk right through being God and invisible, not disturb the stone, and exit the tomb. But God caused an earthquake so that the tomb that was sealed, and you know they sealed it very well, rolled back the stone. And they could look inside and see he wasn't there. Then he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Now, how did he appear? He appeared in human form. But what did he tell Mary Magdalene? He said, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father and your father, to my God and your God. But you go tell the disciples that I have risen. Now, when Jesus then appeared in the midst of them that they were gathered together, let's see what he said. Verse 36. And as they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And they were terrified and filled with fear, thinking that they had beheld a demon apparition. Then he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts come up into your hearts? What does this also tell us? God can read anybody's thoughts at any time that he desires, right? Okay. So he said, see my hands and my feet, that it is I. Touch me and see for yourself. For a spirit, that is a spirit apparition, does not have flesh and bones as you see me having. Now, he didn't say flesh and blood. 
So what does this tell us? That's another way that God can appear to human beings and be in their presence without causing any undue problem to them as if he were in his spirit form or in his glorified form. Now, there's another false teaching out there that the saints will only have flesh and bone when they're resurrected. Well, we've already covered that. No, we will be able to appear to people as flesh and bone, but we will also be glorified, have the same body as Jesus, see him as he is. Okay. So let's come back to the Most High now. God of our fathers, well, this shows us that the patriarchs did have knowledge of the Most High and that the one who became Jesus Christ was Melchizedek of Genesis 14. Okay. Now then, let's understand something else about God. We've covered this before. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. That doesn't mean they're one being. That means they are one in existence and in thought. And Jesus said that his father was greater than he was. Okay. And that we, through the resurrection, are through Christ to become one like the father and the son are one. John, the 17th chapter, you can read that. Genesis 14 again, verse 18. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, who had delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave tithes of all. Okay. Then when we come to chapter 15, we find this. Verse 1. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This is the one who became Jesus Christ. So he was the one who dealt directly. God also dealt directly with them. All right? Now, Let's come to Daniel, the fourth chapter, and let's see something else that's also important, okay? Question is, is God the Father interested in things going on on the earth? The answer is yes. Is he involved in those things? Sometimes directly, sometimes through the Lord God, and the Lord God comes in the name of the Most High God, okay? Come to Daniel, the fourth chapter. Now, this is an interesting chapter. Now, this is King Nebuchadnezzar's epistle. He wrote it. Okay. Verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all nations. Now, who's the head of gold? Nebuchadnezzar. So that's to everything down through the idol of the man that he saw. Nations, languages that dwell 
in all the earth. Now, that's quite a a salutation, isn't it? And when you understand that this is something that goes clear down to our age and our time and all, all the different things concerning what God is doing. He said, Peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High has done for me. So, when he was explained about the vision by Daniel in Daniel 2, that came from the Most High to the one who was the Lord God to give the answer to Nebuchadnezzar. So now, this tells us what? God the Father is also involved in the things concerning prophecy. All right? Look what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He became like a beast and went out in the field, was eating grass like like a beast. After seven years, God returned his sanity to him and returned his kingdom to him. Now let's come over here to verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. Now that agrees with Isaiah 40, that all the nations of the earth are counted as a drop in a bucket. Okay? And he does according to his will. So the will of Jesus Christ is the will of the Father because they are one. Not one being, but one together. His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? Okay, so that that helps answer that question. Okay, here's another one concerning... I have a question regarding Jesus' statement to Nicodemus. Okay, now, I'll answer this part of the question, but we'll cover born again, either in the second half, or may have to put it off to next week, because I want to go into it very thoroughly, into what it is born again. But his question was, Could some of those, he told Nicodemus, why don't you understand these things being a teacher in Israel? So the question is, are there scriptures in the Old Testament that Nicodemus should have known about, which could have revealed to Nicodemus the meaning of born again? And we find that in Psalm 17. Psalm 17. Now these are the words, prophetic words, of Jesus about his resurrection. Verse 15. As for me, I will behold your face, 
in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your righteousness. Now, that's quite a statement. Had Nicodemus known that, he would have understood what it means to be born again, but he didn't. And a lot of people don't understand it today. And a lot of people understand the Protestant view of it, but we'll cover that a little bit later. Now, let's come to Isaiah 66. Okay. This in itself is quite a chapter. Now, remember, in Isaiah especially, everything, there's part of what is current, followed by what is future, followed by what is concerning God, followed by what is concerning people, and all of that is mixed together where Isaiah said, was told by God, that it's here a little, there a little, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept. Okay? Isaiah 66, let's begin with verse 7. Okay? Now here's a prophecy of the birth of Jesus. Verse 7, Isaiah 66. Before she travailed, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a man-child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things like these? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Now, what does that refer to? Let's read it. Or will a nation be born at once? So we have verse 7, a prophecy of Jesus. Verse 8, a prophecy of the church all being resurrected. When? In one day. Okay? There it is. For as soon as Zion travailed... She also gave birth to her children. Shall I bring to birth and not cause to be born, says the Lord? Shall I cause them to be born and shut the womb, says the Lord, says your God, rather? No. So God looks at the earth as what? With all of those who are buried, the resurrection to take place, all in one day, all nation at the same time, Now, that's going to be an amazing thing, okay? There it is. So those two things should have given Nicodemus some understanding if he would have had it, okay? Okay, here's one here. Question is this. In Jude 9, when we rebuke the evil or... A demon, we find in Jude 9 that the angel said, The Lord himself rebuke you. Is this the same way to rebuke a bad demon or the evil thing? That would be true. But we in the church can do so in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, and isn't that what the apostles did? Come out of her. That's what Paul did in Acts' 16th chapter, when there was a woman who had the spirit of Python. 
And the spirit of Python was the spirit of Athena. Now there's a whole, whole, whole history of Athena, and Athena and the spirit of Athena, or the spirit of Python, and who is the great serpent? Satan, the devil, still active today. So the way you rebuke them is, you rebuke them, you can do it verbally, out loud, you can do it mentally in your own mind, if there are other people around that know nothing about the truth. So yes, you can do it that way. That's a good question, thank you. Here's another interesting interesting question, because this, this comes up at a time that raises different thoughts concerning about eternal life and so forth. So here's the question. He writes, I came across this and I've been contemplating it for a couple of years. I'm wondering what you think of this. Is it possible that God cloned himself and sent his clone, Jesus Christ, to sacrifice himself for all humanity? Okay. No, he didn't. He didn't. What, what, what happened when Jesus came in the flesh? Okay. Let's come to Philippians, the second chapter. And we see, we will see what God did. Now, this, this also tells us something very important as well, doesn't it? How about this for changing the form you can exist in and still be God? There's no cloning. There are two Individuals, the Father, the Son, the Most High, the the Lord God. Now, everyone wants to know where did God come from? Well, God didn't tell us. So, the best way we can find out about that is this. When we're resurrected and meet God and meet Christ, we can ask them, Where did you come from? All right, but here. Here's what Christ did to become a human being. The Father didn't clone himself. Now let's pick it up here in verse 5. Chapter 2, Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now there are many things that this has to do with how we think and how we react and how we respond and so forth. And that can only be when we have the Spirit of God within us, okay? Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself. Now, how did he do that? I don't know. But what happened when he emptied himself and was made in the likeness of men? What's the smallest form of being made in the likeness of men? Okay. A sperm, right? Seed. And that's what it's called in the New Testament. 
when we are begotten with the Spirit of God, that is the seed of the Father within us. Okay. Made in the likeness of man and took the form of a servant. Okay. And being found in the matter of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Okay. Now what happened when he emptied himself and became that speck of life? Let's come to Luke, the first chapter. Luke, the first chapter. Now there's no cloning going on here. This is special that God the Father and Jesus Christ did to show that all life comes from them and only God can save us. Luke 1, verse 29, is talking about Mary. But when she saw him, that is, the angel Gabriel, and apparently the angel Gabriel was the one who was in charge of all things concerning Christ. She was greatly perplexed at his message and was considering what kind of salutation this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found grace with God. Behold, you shall conceive in your womb and shall give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, let's read the next verse. And that will tie in with what we've already covered. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of David, his father. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob into the ages. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Okay. So Mary didn't know how this was going to happen because she knew how children come. And she said, how's this going to be? I have not known a man, or I have not had sexual relations with a man. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest. That's the Most High God. Shall overshadow you, For this reason, the holy thing, now look at this very carefully because this is what it is in the Greek. The holy thing being begotten in you. That is present tense participle happening right as the angel was talking. Okay? The holy one being begotten in you shall be called the Son of God. Okay? So no, there's no cloning. Didn't happen that way. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 4. Okay? Let's go back to verse 3. But if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden from those who are perishing, in whom the God of this age... Now then, The word for God here is theos, the same as it is for God. And that's why, little sidebar now, but we'll pick up on this a little later as we go down the road here. Remember the two goats of atonement, okay? 
one for the Lord, one for Azazel. What is one of the most identifying signs of Satan the devil as demonstrated by the church of Satan the devil? The idol is what? A goat. Okay? Whom the God of this age, that is the one we're living in, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. How does he blind their minds? By false doctrine. By false interpretations of Scripture. Okay? By philosophy. And we'll get to another one. That's how born again became confused in the church through philosophy. We'll get to that a little bit later. Okay. Blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God who is the image, not a clone. An image of God should shine unto them. For we do not preach our own selves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Okay, Because it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shined into our hearts, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, sometimes we read over these scriptures and we don't really understand what it's saying here. Okay. So I hope that helps understand it. Okay, one more. Let's come to Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians, the first chapter. So let's pick it up in chapter 1, okay? Because the next question becomes, did God create Jesus as God before he came to the earth? Okay? That would make Jesus a created being. But is that so? No. You just have to read a little bit further, and the answer is there. Now, let's pick it up here, chapter 1, verse 14. Speaking about redemption and deliverance from darkness, verse 14, chapter 1, book of Colossians. In whom we have redemption through his own blood, even the remission of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, if that verse were just there alone, without a clarification, it would bring up the question that's brought up here. See? But let's read on. Because by him were all things created. Uh Uh-huh. Did he then create himself? See the complications you get into? Okay. The things in heaven, the things in the earth, the visible, the invisible, whether they, there are thrones or lordships or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. 
Okay. Now then, let's read on. And he is before all, and, and by him all things submit, subsist rather, or that is exist and continue. Now think about this. Look at everything that God has made. Automatically reproduces itself. Okay. Now with all this rain we've had, our backyard, we just let it dry up. Okay. Now guess what with the water? It's green. It's growing. Now it'll grow to a certain stage, produce seed. Those seeds will fall off and will make new grass. Okay. That goes with grass, that grows with trees, that goes with things that we eat, okay, reproduces itself. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. Okay. Now then, we read earlier in Isaiah 66, that a whole nation will be born in one day. That's the first resurrection. Okay. He was the firstborn because he was resurrected after three days and three nights in the grave. Right? Okay. Now we'll get a little bit ahead here in born again. We'll cover it in just a minute. Okay. So the firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he himself might hold the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Okay. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether the things on the earth or the things in heaven. So I hope that answers it. So we'll see you in 20. All right, now let's continue on with questions and answers. Let's let's finish off what we ended up with, because that wasn't quite complete. So let's get the complete answer, because it says here in Colossians 1 and verse 15 that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Okay. And that means the firstborn from the dead we have there in verse 18. Now let's look at something else. Remember previously we covered, shall a nation be born in one day, Isaiah 66. Let's amplify that a little bit. Now let's come to James, the first chapter, and this will give us a little more insight on Colossians, the first chapter, okay? Because what God is doing is so fantastic and marvelous, it is just mind-boggling. And it's also, through what the Bible tells us, it's telling us that God is involved in everything much more than we give him credit for. 
and that we have free moral agency and we must choose. Okay? Now, let's come to James, the first chapter, and let's pick it up here in verse 17. James 1 and verse 17. Every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, of whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. Now notice verse 18. According to his own will. Now think about that. Every single one of us are here because of the will of the Father. That's why, as we covered last week, having God the Father and Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, now that's quite a thing to contemplate too, right? Okay. Verse 18, according to his own will, he begat us by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. Huh of all his created beings. That means of all that are created to be the sons and daughters of God through the power of the resurrection. Okay, So Christ was the firstborn from the dead of all that creation, right? And that creation then is what? the entire plan of God. Now, let's look at a couple of other things here to finish this off. Let's come to Matthew, the first chapter, where it talks about Jesus. Let's see what it says of Jesus. Okay. Now, let's pick it up on, in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, that means his physical birth, We covered how that began in Luke, the first chapter. Follows. Now his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, who before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not willing to expose her publicly, was planning to divorce her secretly. But as he pondered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, because that which has been begotten in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." And now all of this came to pass that might be fulfilled spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold the virgin. Now that's what it says in the Hebrew and the Greek. The virgin, meaning one separate individual, the virgin, shall be with child and shall give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God with us. Okay. And when Joseph 
was awakened from his sleep. The angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife and so forth and to wed. And he did not have sexual relations with her until after she had given birth to her son. Notice the firstborn. Okay. So he was the firstborn of Mary, the firstborn ever of a human being that was God first and then emptied himself to become God. Okay. And he called his name Jesus. Now let's look at one other thing in Revelation, the first chapter. Okay. And keep this in mind so when we come to born again, you will understand what it really means. Okay, let's pick it up here in verse 4. Revelation, the first chapter. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace be to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne. Now, these seven spirits in chapter 4 and 5 are called the eyes of the Lord, sent into all of the earth. Now, apparently that's what God uses to keep track of what's going on on the earth, okay? Now, notice the next verse. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, Okay, Now, he was called firstborn of Mary. That was his physical birth, right? Yes. He's called firstborn from among the dead. That is his resurrection from death to life. Okay? So that will help you understand when we get to what does it mean to be born again, that that's what it means. It doesn't mean a conversion experience. So we'll leave it at that until we get there. Now, here's one other question concerning Melchizedek. We covered part of that already. So let's come to Hebrews, the seventh chapter, where it talks about Jesus Christ being the one who was Melchizedek before he became Jesus Christ in the flesh, okay? Now, let's pick it up here in verse 1. The question is here, says, we are studying your book about Hebrews, so lots about Christ being high priest. When did this happen? Well, he was high priest of the Most High God back in Genesis 14, back there after the order of Melchizedek. And... When he was raised from the dead, he became high priest forever over all the family of God now resurrected from the dead. So when did did he become high priest according to the order of Melchizedek? It sounds like a great ceremony would be attached to this event. Well, there probably was, but we don't know what it was. Okay. Did this take place in heaven after Jesus rose from the dead? 
and went to heaven to confirm with the Father that the work was completed? I do not know. It doesn't tell us that. But I think it will be, there will be a great celebration at the wedding feast on the Sea of Glass. Says we can't find any scriptures that would tell us this. Well, have we missed it? Or perhaps that is one of the things that will be revealed later on. Okay? Probably so. Okay? But there are some people who believe that Melchizedek in Genesis 14 was Shem. Well, let's read here and find out it could not be Shem. All right? Verse 1, Hebrews 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from his slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to whom Abraham gave a tenth of all, on the one hand being interpreted king of righteousness, and on the other hand, king of Salem, which is king of peace. Okay? Now, so you have many titles. What does it say about Jesus? And on his head, Revelation 19, were many crowns. Okay? Now notice verse 3 here. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but having been made like the Son of God, remains a priest forever. Okay? So, likewise with Jesus, see? When he died, what did he say? His last words. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That spirit then was without any body because it was taken from the physical body of Jesus into the hands of the Father. So he had to be really dead. Okay? Now then, to raise him from the dead, God the Father took that spirit which Jesus commended to the Father and put it into the physical body of Christ, which for three days and three nights was dead and didn't see any corruption. And this is how he was raised from the dead. Now, how it's going to be with all of us and over the period of time that people have been dead and in a grave and all of that and how it's going to be at the first resurrection, we don't quite understand that. But we'll understand it when it occurs, okay? So I hope that answers the question. No, you didn't miss anything because that's all that the Bible tells us. Here's some questions. Here's one. Some Jehovah Witnesses wanted to come and discuss the Holy Days. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) But they probably came to say, you don't have to do them. My intent was 
practicing the parable of the talents instead of burying the truth, I tried to share it. According to these scriptures, was it a sin to invite them even into my home and hope to cause them to search for the truth? No, because you were not befriending them as friends. You were inviting them in to tell them the truth about God and the holy days. So he asked the question, the verses in Second John, so let's go there, Second John verses 10 and 11. Now, Second John is one of the shortest epistles in the Bible and contains a powerful lot of truth. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, that is the true doctrine of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and ascension to heaven, and God's plan, etc. Do not receive him into your house. So your question is, if you invited them in to try and explain to them about the holy days, you were doing this from an instructive point of view, not as a friendship or fellowship point of view. So he says, otherwise, do not say to him, welcome. For anyone who says welcome to him is partaking of his evil works. Okay? No, what you were doing was more like what the apostles did in witnessing to the Sanhedrin. Question number two, if God institutes leaders and he puts in office who we deserve, now, that's, I think, talking about politics. Okay? Now, what happened to Israel? after King Hezekiah, who was righteous, died. His son Manasseh became king, and he reigned 55 years. And the people, because of their sins, deserved how he behaved. And all of the false doctrines and everything came up. When he was taken captive by the Assyrians, and at that time the Assyrians had control of Babylon, and put him in prison, he repented. And God brought him back, put him as a vassal king, and what did he do? He cleaned up everything in the temple area and changed what he was doing. So yes, God puts into office whom we deserve. The question is, is voting for a specific government official wrong? No, the way I vote is this. I vote for the one who is the least evil, but the one who lowers taxes. That's it. Okay, because that will affect everybody and affect me. Is voting a wrong waste of time or effort? Well, sometimes it can be. Okay. So, look at what we have. We've been spared Hillary Billary, but we got Joe, and that's even worse. Okay, so we'll see how things go. Okay, here's a question. 
question is this. In Acts the ninth chapter, Saul was knocked to the ground by the Lord's brilliant light. It states that the men who were with him were speechless, and they heard the voice, but saw no one. Okay, so let's go there. Acts the ninth chapter. So let's read it. Acts 9 and verse 7. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, for they indeed heard the voice, but they saw no one. Now this doesn't mean that they understood the words. They heard the voice. So let's come to chapter 22, because there seems to be a conflict here which on the surface appears to be true, Acts 22 and verse 9. And he was relating the same story, and he was speaking this time to all of those assembled at the temple area, and they were the ones who were wanting to kill him. So he was explaining, verse 7, that as he was coming near Damascus, I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me indeed saw the light and were alarmed, but they did not hear the voice of the one who spoke to me. Now, the same word, akuo, in the Greek, can also mean that they did not understand the voice that spoke to me. So that would remove the the conflict. They did not understand the voice of the one who spoke to me. You ever had that happen to you? You heard someone speaking, but you never, you couldn't understand their words. Okay. So that's the best way because there should be no contradictions in the Bible. And those that appear to be contradictions, we can resolve by understanding the scriptures. Okay. Now, here's one here. Okay, 1 Samuel 3, 11 verse, to verses 14, he quotes it. I will judge his house forever, verse 13. Okay, that is Eli's house. He said forever. The iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Okay, does ever mean forever? In these verses, well, it means that as long as there are any descendants of Eli, Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed the same day. The two sons, because they took the ark out from the tabernacle of God and took it out to fight the Philistines, and the Philistines won the battle and took the ark. 
Okay. And then a messenger came back to tell Eli or Eli that his two sons had died. And he was sitting and he fell back on a rock and died. Boom. Okay. God's judgment on the house of Eli was complete. There were no descendants of it because you made a mistake when you continued on to ask this question. So Samuel, being Eli's son, that's not correct. Samuel was not Eli's son. Let's go back there to 1 Samuel, the first chapter, and we'll find out. Okay? So, your thought about not having any atonement for Sam, for Samuel is not correct because he is not a descendant of Eli. Okay? So what we have back here in 1 Samuel, the first chapter, we have this. We have Hilkiah, and his wife's name was Hannah. And she had no children. And she came to the feast, and actually Hilkiah had two wives. And one wife had children, but she didn't. So a little female competition here, okay? And she went to the Feast of Tabernacles, and Hannah tried to tell her, look, I'm giving you a great gift. This is in spite of the fact you don't have children. Well, she wanted to have children, so she was praying at the tabernacle, and Eli the priest came, and he misunderstood her at first and thought that she was in a bad attitude, but she wasn't. She was just crying out to God that she could have children. So then Eli, when he understood that, he said to her, your wish is granted to you. Okay. So she bore a son, and his name was Samuel. So then, because she was pregnant, she said, I'm going to devote this man-child to God. So she raised him approximately three years old because they nursed the children for three years, okay? And then she took him and gave him to Eli to be his assistant and grow up at the temple. So Samuel was not the son of Eli, but the son of Hannah and Hilkiah, okay? So when the two sons of Eli were exterminated, that was the judgment that came upon them, along with Eli. Revelation 14, looks like you've been studying a lot of things in the Bible, so let's go to Revelation 14. And the question becomes, verse 11, Let's pick it up in verse 9. Revelation 14, verse 9. And the third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worshiped the beast and his image and received the mark in his forehead or in his hand, 
He shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed undiluted in the cup of his wrath. And he shall be tormented in fire and brimstone in the sight of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends into the ages of eternity. Okay? Now, when anything gets outside the gravitational pull of the earth, it goes on and on and on and on. Now, I suppose the smoke will eventually dissipate into something that can't be seen. Okay? But space is a big place, and so how that exactly works, that's the best we can figure out here. So then another question follow-up, how does that square with the Scripture which says, the former things shall not be remembered? Okay. Well, it won't be. It will be out there where it will be counted as nothing. This always comes up. Question number three, concerning the common practice of polygamy and adultery through time in the Bible. So many notorious men that God used throughout the Bible had multiple wives and bed partners. Jacob intimately knew and married two sisters, and each sister had a handmaiden, and they brought four children too. Okay? Now, originally, as Jesus said, in the beginning it was one man and one woman. That's what it should be. Okay? However, God used this, and that's how all of the sons of Jacob were not that very far apart in age because there were four mothers. Okay. Abraham, though married, he, he had Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, and that resulted in all the Arabs that we have today. Now, that's an interesting thing, too, because it was legal then, if a woman had no children, then the child of her handmaid could be the heir of the woman. So that's what Sarah was trying to work out. However, think of what the world would have been spared if she hadn't done that, And if Abraham would have said, no, I'm not going to. History would be quite different. So, why God went through all of this and all of the extra wives, the only other thing I can figure is that when there were wars in those days, the men went out to war and thousands were killed. Well, this left all the women at home to take care of everything. And they had a society, it's not like it is today. You can run down and buy whatever you need at whatever local store and whatever product you want. They had to plow the ground, they had to plant the seed, they had to take care of the animals, 
and all of that, and the women could not do that. So they were given to men who would do that and take care of the offspring, and there would be offspring raised to the deceased husband by the new man who became her husband. That's the best I can I can do on that. And today, they're trying to revive polygamy. Okay, so we'll see how that goes. Okay, question. Is it read correctly that a couple may resolve to a divorce over adultery, and the offended party may remarry, but the offending party uh, shall never remarry? Well, all divorce and remarriage cases need to be taken on a individual basis as they arrive. Today you look at it, who is bound to whom? Okay? Because sex is rampant at a very early age, children are brought in, there are marriages and divorces, There are single mothers, sometimes single fathers, and you have all of the problems that go with it. So because that exists and there are those problems, it doesn't mean that God is necessarily approving of it. Let's put it that way. Next question. Where did Cain get his wife? Well, the best we can determine is this. At the time God made Adam and Eve, he put in them all the genes necessary for the different races of people. And it appears that they had a lot of children, and Josephus records that Adam and Eve had 56 children. Now, they lived a long time. So you would suppose that there would be whatever race of people that would be born, that as they continued to have children, then they would be able to match them up according to whatever their race was. That's the best we can figure out on that. Okay? But when you get it the way it is today, everything is in a mess. And it's a terrible thing going on, okay? Now, here's another question. Why did Jesus have to leave in order for the Comforter to come? Well, let's go back to John 14. We'll find out. Now, we find in John 14 that there are two parts of the Holy Spirit, okay? We find that in verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, that is Jesus included, will come to him and make our abode with him. The one who does not love me does not Keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
I have spoken these things to you while I am yet present with you. But when the Comforter comes, even the Holy Spirit, which the Father will send me, will send in my name, that one shall teach you all things and shall bring to your remembrance everything I have told you. Verse 22, chapter 15. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have had sin. But now they have nothing to cover their sin. The one who hates me hates my father. If I had not done among them the works that no other man has done, they would not have had sin. But now they have both seen and and hated both me and my father. But this has happened so that the saying might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Holy Spirit has come, which I will send to you from the Father. Now, the reason that it had to wait until after he was resurrected and went to the Father was so that the Holy Spirit from the Father, being the begettle for eternal life, and the Holy Spirit from Christ, being the ability to gain the mind of Christ, could not have been given until he ascended to the Father after his resurrection. Okay, so that's why he had to ascend first. All right. Another question. The question, will Satan be destroyed? Uh, Go to any last great day, and that will answer the question, what happens to Satan the devil? Okay. Satan will not be destroyed, neither will the demons, and they will be committed to the blackest darkness forever. Here's another question. Judges 14. So this involves Samson. So Samson was probably one of the worst of the judges, but he redeemed himself at the end by destroying the temple of Dagon. Okay? But the question is concerning... All right. What are the verses here? Judges 14. Okay, let's pick it up in verse 5. And Shamuel and his father and mother went down to Timnath, this is chapter 14, verse 5, and they came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared to meet him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore it as he would have uh, torn a kid, and was nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman that is, the Philistine woman that he wanted, and she pleased Samson very much. And after a time, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the dead body of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey was in the body, the dead body of the lion. And he took some of it in his hands and went on his way eating. And 
came to his father and mother, and he gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the dead body of the lion. So let's see what the question here is. Why was it there in the first place? How long was the lion dead? And was he dead long enough for the bees to make a nest and honey? Would would it be just the skeletal remains? Well, we are told that he went down and was the woman, and it says, verse 8, and after a time, we're not told how long that time was, but it seems it seems that there was nothing left of the lion, perhaps only the bones, and then in the bones, the bees made their nest, made the honey. That's the best we can figure. We're, we're not told on it. But that is not a uh, salvational question. Okay, we'll save the rest for next Sabbath. And we have quite a bit we have yet to cover, so thanks for the questions. And if you have any more, send them in. We'll do the best we can. Okay, so take care. Stay warm. Stay out of trouble. Stay close to God. Bye-bye.